Welcome to Connect Church. We're a new church in the East Windsor Heightstown area, and we're a church that is looking to connect to Jesus and community. We're so glad you've joined us. Well, hello everyone. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today as we continue our Discipleship Pipeline uh, series. Remind you, just our goal in this is we're trying to create disciples who will ultimately create more disciples. So as you're learning, we're praying that God would put people on our path that we could put this into practice with. And I'm sure you're familiar now, but I'll just review it very quickly. Our pipeline consists of three components, our heart, our hands, and head. And so our heart is that we want to be immersed in Jesus. We want to abide with Jesus. The scriptures tell us that if we don't abide in Christ, there will be no fruit. It will be in vain effort, right? And so we've been putting this into practice in our monthly meetings. A lot of it incorporates what we've been talking about in terms of our spiritual disciplines and things of that nature. And then we have the hands aspect. The hands aspect is where we're all gonna face situations in life that we say, what do I do? It could be overcoming a sin struggle. It could be a challenge at work or at home or just a pressure, a decision that needs to be made. It could cover a vast array of things. And so our goal uh, with our hands is before we go directly to the practical, we first wanna root our identity in the gospel and what Jesus has done for us through his death and resurrection. And then now the overflow of that, how does that inform how I should respond to a situation? We've been calling that gospel coaching and that also we've been doing in our monthly in-person meetings. And if you have not been a part of those meetings and you'd like to, there's a link in the description that you can fill out uh, and we would love to connect with you in that way. And so that leads us with our last portion, which is the head portion. That's what we're here for today, just to kind of process some theology, kind of get some knowledge. Uh, but we can't stop here. If we just get knowledge, uh, we really didn't accomplish much. We puffed ourselves up. And so we, we need the knowledge, we need the heart, we need the hands. It all needs to work together. Also want to encourage you that uh, this pipeline is just one environment of discipleship. Of course, there's many other environments of discipleship as well that you can engage in and want to encourage you to continue uh, to do so. So let's jump in for today. Today, we're going to be looking at the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a disciple. And there's a lot that can be said here. And so we're going to break this into two parts this month and next month. And there most likely be a future part uh, in a future pipeline series down the road. So let's dive in. Who is the Holy Spirit? You know, the Holy Spirit is mentioned a lot, whether that be in our gatherings or in Scripture, in our songs, or even in preaching. And uh, sometimes I, I think we use language that could actually be a little ambiguous. We say things like, the Spirit is moving. And the reason I said it's ambiguous, I use that phrase all the time, but it's ambiguous because everybody might define that a little, a little bit differently in terms of the Spirit moving. Someone might say, well, I felt God's presence in an almost tangible way, and that would, the Spirit is moving. Um, someone else might say, well, you know, I, I was at work or I was at school, and I just felt the Spirit leading me uh, to share the gospel with someone or to pray for someone, whatever the case, and they would say the Spirit is moving. If someone is healed, we might say the Spirit was moving. But at the same time, someone might also use the phrase the Spirit is moving if they just like the worship service that day. Man, maybe they really like the songs, they connect with the songs, they say the Spirit's moving, or maybe the pastor preached with extra gusto that week and they say, oh, the Spirit was moving today, right, because of the volume or whatever the case uh, may be. And then they come back the next week and the songs might be different, but yet it's still humble praise to the Lord and the preaching is still biblical. And they say, well, I don't know if the Spirit was here today. you know. And so I think sometimes we hurt ourselves uh, with some of that language because we could orient the Holy Spirit moving around how we feel at any given moment or, 
or, or what's happening in, in our mo- our life like that. And so I think the spirit definitely works in a way that engages our feelings. That's definitely part of it. But that cannot be the litmus test of whether or not the spirit is moving or the spirit is working. I bring that all up to say this. We need to know who the spirit is so that we can discern in every situation whether it's the spirit moving or something else. Let me give you uh, a, a short illustration from my life that maybe will help process this. When I was in college, uh, I was interning at a church uh, with the youth pastor there, and we had taken the teens on a mission trip to Mississippi. Uh, this was after a hurricane had happened, and so we were doing some relief work, and uh, we were working hard, and we went with a missions organization that was working there, and I love mission trips, just how God uses them in our lives and for the people that we're trying to bless. And, you know, we're working hard. It's Mississippi. It's like July or August. The sun is beating down. We're out there all day with a bunch of junior hires and high schoolers. And so we got to about 6 or 7 o'clock at night, and one of the girls, I think she was in junior high at the time, says, I don't feel good. I, I, I just feel like I'm going to pass out. And so I quickly went and got the leader of the organization that we were working with. And I said, hey, I said, this girl doesn't feel good. It's really hot out here. Like, I think we need to get her somewhere that she can rest a little bit. And he said, nah, man, that's just the spirit in our life, man. She's probably going to go down under the power of the spirit. And she went down, but sure enough, it was provided from dehydration. We had to pick her up and carry her and rehydrate her. And I say that just as a way of like, you know, a lot of times we could put these ambiguous things to the spirit and if we don't know who the spirit is we're going to miss it and i don't know about you i don't want to miss the holy spirit working in my life i don't want to miss direction that he's going to give us and we have to realize from the beginning that the spirit will sometimes lead us in a way that's comfortable and sometimes lead us in a way that's uncomfortable Uh, and we have to be open to both possibilities this is why we can't go by our feelings and just throw it out right away let me give an example from scripture ezekiel chapter 4 it's a very interesting uh, passage The, the spirit of the lord speaks to ezekiel and Ezekiel is told that he needs to symbolize uh, what the nation of Israel and, and, and Judah were going through. They were being exiled because of their sin. And so he's to get a clay tablet. He's supposed to draw Jerusalem on this tablet. And then he's supposed to set up siege works against us. Just imagine a kid setting up a little battle with their toys. That's basically what Ezekiel is told to do. Then he's told to take an iron pan, put it between him and this little battle that he set up, and lay on his side for 390 days to represent the sin of the people of Israel and 40 days to represent the sin of the people of, of Judah. Not only that, he's told how to cook and what to eat, and he's supposed to cook over human dung, and he bargains with God to get it that I could cook with cow dung, right? So if I heard that, I'd be like, Lord... I don't know that that's the Spirit telling me this. I must be dehydrated. Something must be going on here. This is not the Lord. But clearly, it was in that moment. So again, I bring it back. If we don't know who the Spirit is, then we're going to miss it. It might be uncomfortable for us sometimes, but the Spirit wants to use us in a way that maybe is outside our box. And we might just throw it away because, oh, that doesn't feel like the Spirit. And there may be times where it's very comfortable and we might miss it there as well. And so we need to know who the Spirit is is so who is the holy spirit well in a very basic definition is this that the holy spirit is god sometimes we refer to the spirit as an it that's really not an accurate way uh, of, of saying it uh, the holy spirit is god he's part of the trinity and so let's process what the trinity means trinity if you search through every single word in scripture you will not find uh, that word directly uh, but the concept is certainly there and we actually even see the concept in other spheres of life uh, if you're into cajun cooking they have something called the holy trinity Trinity, uh, which is made up of onions, celery, and bell peppers. And they say this is the backbone of of everything that they cook in in that style of cooking. Um, And and so in terms of in Scripture, if we were to define Trinity, we would define it as one God 
and three persons, one God in three persons. Now, if that sounds confusing, don't worry, because it is, right? We're trying to describe an incomparable being uh, in, in human terms, in layman terms. We'll use some analogies. They're going to fall short, uh, as we'll see in a minute. Um, but rest assured, God has revealed enough of himself in Scripture that we can understand and we can know him. And so we see this concept of one God, but yet there's unity, uh, one God, three persons. And so how do we get there? Let's look at just a few of the Scriptures. We're going to breeze through these pretty quick. So I encourage you, if you want to write them down and look them up fully later, you can. We'll start in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So in there we see already these two aspects, right? In the beginning, God, probably referring to God the Father, uh, created, but yet the Spirit of God is hovering over the water. We could take it a step further to find the third member of the Trinity if we go to John chapter 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word. The Word is another name for Jesus. And it says, The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And so John tells us, yes, Jesus was in creation. He is God, but yet He was with God. Uh, and He was working and creating in creation. We go back to Genesis one more time. Genesis 1.26 then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. L let us. Who? Us. Right? God is referring to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so we could go all throughout scriptures, and we'll see God the Father acting. We'll see Jesus, God the Son acting, and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God acting. Now, I'll give you an illustration that I like to use to help process this, but we'll see how this illustration doesn't fully uh, meet the mark. Uh, I, I am a husband, I am a son, and I am a father. And so I fulfill all those different roles, uh, you know, in, in my life, but we, we know that those relationships are different. How I relate to my parents as a son is very different than how I relate to my, my child as a father or, or, or to, uh, to my wife as, as a husband. Uh, in the same way, we see the different roles of the Trinity throughout Scripture. For example, if we were to take a broad view of salvation, we would see how each member of the Trinity kind of works a little differently. So example, the Father is the one who planned for salvation and he initiated it. He sent the Son. But then we see the Son, we see Jesus, he's the one who came and he fulfilled that plan. He actually carried that plan out by going to the cross and his death and resurrection. And then the Spirit applies that plan. It's the Spirit who Jesus calls the Spirit of Truth who would point us back to him, uh, applies that plan of salvation to our life. Now, if we go back to the example I gave you as, as me as a father and as a son and as, as a husband, I could be in a room and I could fulfill all those, rules, uh, all those roles at the same time. I could have my parents there and my wife there and my children there. And I, I could be doing all those roles at once. Um, in the same way, the members of the Trinity can act simultaneously. But here's where the analogy breaks down for us. Although I could fulfill all those roles at once, I am but yet one person. However, God is three persons, not three different gods. That's a common mistake that sometimes is made. Uh, but that's the mystery of it. See, we see God interacting. We saw it in creation. But we look at another example where all three are acting together simultaneously. So again, you can see where the analogy breaks down here. But listen to Matthew chapter 3 at Jesus' baptism. It says, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So we have Jesus being baptized, 
right? One member of the Trinity. We have the Spirit descending on Jesus, another member of the Trinity, and then God the Father is yelling down from heaven, yeah, this is my son, I'm well pleased with him, right? And so we see all this interaction at once, simultaneously. Again, it blows our mind because we have nothing to compare this to in our world. Our God is incomparable God in this way. Um, and, and, and in that, we also see that there is complete unity among them. It's not that one member of the Trinity is more powerful than the other and has their own agenda that they're running with over here and, and this other one's going that way. No, they're in complete unity. Um, in fact, someone might bring up, well, what about the Garden of Gethsemane? Was there, was there unity there where Jesus was wrestling uh, with this? As we're, at the time of this recording, we're kind of coming into Lent season. This is one of the passages you know, we'll kind of be looking at during this time. And listen to this in Matthew 26, 22. Excuse me, Matthew 26, 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And you say, what was there, unity there? Jesus is trying to do something different. I, I do believe there was unity there. I think this passage of Scripture is teaching us another mystery in addition to the Trinity. And that's the one where we would say Jesus, as he walked this earth, was fully God and fully man. Philippians chapter 2 reminds us that Jesus emptied himself, set aside the qualities of being God, and stepped into the world. It's not that he ceased being God, uh, but rather he set them aside. So for example, Jesus had to sleep. He had to eat. He could only be in one place at one time. He was tempted, and the temptation was legit. It wasn't he's like, oh, I'll go to God mode right now. This isn't really a temptation. No, it was legit, yet he was at without sin. This is why he was the perfect sacrifice uh, uh, for us. And so I think that's what we're seeing here in Matthew 26. We're seeing the human, human Humanity of Christ, where he's wrestling with this, but yet in his divinity, he is submitting uh, to the Trinity and they are working together in this. Another scripture of note, perhaps, in this is Luke chapter 5, verse 17. In this chapter, um, Jesus is healing a paralyzed man. But the text actually says this in the second half of verse 17. It is Luke 5, 17b. It says, And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. If we think about that, wait, like, so God was with God to do ministry. Right? Jesus had the anointing of the Spirit upon his life to carry out ministry. You know, many times you read the Scripture and say, Jesus knowing their thoughts, and then he says something. Right? I believe that that was the Spirit that was illuminating that for Jesus and showing him those things. So, so Jesus was anointed um, by the Spirit. But yet at the same time, in that same passage of Luke, we see about the divinity of Jesus. This doesn't minimize Jesus in any way, because in that passage, Jesus forgives this man's sins. And the Pharisees that are there, they're like, who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus is like, exactly. And he heals the man to show that he is God and that he is within control. I encourage you to dig into that a little deeper. So I know we took a little side tangent there, but let's kind of recap here, right? The Trinity refers to Father, Son, and Spirit. We're trying to understand who the Spirit is a little bit more. Um, it's one God in three persons, not three different gods. They exist in unity with one another. And so therefore, the Holy Spirit is God. Okay. So if the Holy Spirit is God, do we desire him in that way? Do we seek him in that way? Do we want all that the Spirit has for us? Or is the Spirit kind of just forgotten to the side somewhere? We kind of don't, don't worry about it. You know, if the Holy Spirit is God, we, we, we need to want all of them. We need to want to praise him and seek him and desire him in our life. In fact, I would suggest to you that the primary way that God is working on this earth right now is through the Holy Spirit. And we'll touch more on that uh, in a little bit. And so who's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. And that leads us to a second question we want to answer today. And that is, who has the Spirit? You know, sometimes there could be some confusion as if certain disciples have the Spirit and other disciples don't. 
but that's really not the case. Let's look at, uh, at the scriptures, John 14, uh, 17, the second half of that verse says this, the world cannot accept him, referring to the spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. And so Jesus says, hey, the world can accept the spirit because, because they don't know the spirit. And then we didn't read it, but it, he calls the spirit, the spirit of truth. And if we think about that in our context, the world doesn't want to know the truth. The world doesn't want any uncomfortable moments of correction or, or, or discipline. Uh, but though, yet those moments are necessary. And we could even say, too, that sometimes as disciples, we don't want those moments either, if we're going to be honest about it, right? But Jesus says, hey, listen, he's saying this to the disciples. He's saying, but the Spirit will be with you and will be in you, will we'll dwell in them. And, and so we can maybe say it this way. Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to those who believe in what he's done through his death and resurrection. In fact... If we go to John 20, this is after Jesus' death and resurrection, he gathers the disciples together, and here's what happens in John 20, 22. It says, and with that he, referring to Jesus, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus fulfills the word. He actually gives the disciples his spirit in John 20 to live in them, to dwell inside them. And let me encourage you today that if you've trusted Jesus to deal with your sins, you have the Holy Spirit. He is dwelling within you right now. It's Jesus' sacrifice that makes that possible. Just to drive this home a little further, let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Paul writes this to the Ephesian church in chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. He says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked at him, marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When we believe, what believe in what? Jesus' death and resurrection, we receive the Holy Spirit. It's a deposit. So if you're in Christ today, you have the Spirit. It's a done deal. Now, sometimes there can be some confusion about what we're talking about right now and then what Jesus mentions in Acts chapter 1 and we said fulfilled in Acts 2 and other places, which we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in next month's pipeline. So if you've got some questions on that, start writing them down and thinking about them. We'll, we'll talk about that then. Uh, but when we believe, John chapter 20, Ephesians chapter 1, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us in that moment, done deal. But yet Jesus also talks about a distinct and separate experience this would be acts 1 acts 2 and and beyond that's called spirit baptism and so all disciples of jesus have the spirit but of course there's more of the spirit that we should pursue we'll talk about that uh, next time and so for our remaining time today, let's focus on, okay, we know who the Spirit is. We know who has the Spirit. Okay, what does the Spirit do? And a, a few moments ago, I said that the Holy Spirit is the primary way that God is working on earth. And if the Holy Spirit was creating a, uh, a job resume, he would have a lot of things to, to, to write down on there. He could say things like this. He could say that he baptizes us into the body of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We could talk about how the Spirit empowers us to witness. That's Acts 2 that we were just referring. That's different from being baptized into the body of Christ. Again, we'll talk about that next time. Right? The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and points out the sin in our life. He guides us in decisions. He equips the church with gifts uh, to, to, to uh, encourage the body of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. That'll be a future pipeline session. He softens our heart. And then in John 14, we read he advocates for us. So there's a lot. The Spirit's busy. He's got a lot going on. Uh, that he's doing for us, but I think we could probably simplify it down to one purpose or one role, role that we could kind of put a broad covering over it. And uh, John 15 uh, will maybe help us with this. 
Just to give you the context, this is after the Last Supper. These are some of the final interactions that Jesus is having with his disciples before going to the cross. And we read this in John 15, 26 to 27. When the Advocate comes, that's a name for the Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify for you've been with me from the beginning. And so Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the advocate. In other passages of scriptures, Jesus is called the advocate. So again, we're seeing this concept of Trinity, unity, three in one, one God, three persons. But but here he calls the Spirit the advocate. What does an advocate do? An advocate fights for somebody, right? It, it, it does something on their behalf. Many years ago, I, I worked for um, a, a local uh, gym uh, where I lived, and uh, I was there and I had a boss who would uh, oversaw a couple locations, and so they, he would only come uh, once in a while to where I was. But every time he came and saw me, he'd say this. He'd say, David, I will fight for you. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not in a fight with anybody. Like, I'm good. I got no issues. Like, I'm just trying to do my job. No, I will fight for you. And I'm like, all right, whatever. Well, he said this a few times, and, and I think a couple months later, or a couple weeks later, his boss came in and said, David, I want to see you. And I'm like, okay. And he shook my hand and took me a lot of cash in my hand. I'm not making this up. I don't know where this money came from. I was a little concerned about it, so I just used it for the local youth group that I was serving with at the time. I was like, we're going to buy the kids some bagels at Sunday school kind of thing, because I didn't know where this money came from. But he was fighting for me, right? He was trying to do something on my behalf. I have no clue what, but he was. Well, the Holy Spirit is fighting for us. He's advocating for us. And it's not fishy things like maybe what I was involved with there, but, but, but he's looking to do something to put the spotlight on Jesus, to show us who Jesus is. We read it in there that he will testify about Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is to point us to Jesus in every situation in our life. And I use that language of the spotlight because perhaps you've been to you know, a Broadway play or some type of show or whatever, and what do they do? They shine the spotlight on the actor or the singer, the musician, whoever they want you to focus in at that moment, that's where the spotlight goes so you forget everything else that's around it. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit's to do, to be this spotlight as he convicts us, as he guides us, as he empowers us, as he leads us, as he fights for us. He's just pointing us back to Jesus in every area of our life. Somebody might say that the Holy Spirit gospel coaches us. That's a little joke for you there if, if you caught it. All right, and so, so that's what Jesus does for us. Excuse me, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. His main job is to exalt Jesus. Now, I find something very interesting. We all have different people that we depend on in life. You know, if something, you know, your car breaks down or you're in some kind of crisis, you're like, that's the person I would call or, you know, this is, this is my go-to person. I would imagine that, I want you to imagine with me that your go-to person said to you, hey, just so you know, I'm not going to be available to you anymore, but it's all good. You'll be fine. You'd be like, no, like, I need this person. They're so important. But that's exactly what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, guys, I'm out. You're going to be good. Listen to this. John chapter 16. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? But rather you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, remember the spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Man, that makes no sense to me. Like, I just wish Jesus was literally sitting next to me all the time. And he would just tell me exactly what to do, exactly what to say. Like, it would so, be so easy to discern. All right, Jesus, what do I do right now? Where do I go? <laughs> Left, right? Who do I talk to? You know, it, it would be so much easier that way. 
But Jesus actually says that that's not good for me. He says it's better for me to have the Spirit come and he not be here. Well, well why is that the case? Well, we mentioned before that Jesus uh, set aside the qualities of God here on earth. And so he was limited in time and space. So it was better for the disciples and by extension us because the impact can be greater by the Spirit. The Spirit is not limited. It can be everywhere at once. Also, the Spirit can get to the internal. All other teaching is simply external. You know, Jesus, when he was here in the flesh, he taught, uh, but it was external teaching. The Spirit had to then come and take and, and apply those things to the heart. And so this is why, this way, like when, when we share the gospel with somebody, man, if they're just hearing my words or your words, it's going to do nothing. That's just external teaching. External teaching is not going to change anybody. That's why we pray, Holy Spirit, come and draw people's hearts. Holy Spirit, come and take the word of God and apply it to people's hearts. Let, let, let it grow in people's hearts. Why? Because if the Spirit's not doing that, we're, it's going to be worthless, right? And so Jesus actually says, no, it's better that the Spirit is able to do this. And so the Holy Spirit puts the spotlight on Jesus. And so I want to look in our, in our just final moments here today. Uh, at one way, he does that. Uh, some of the ways are empowering us, giving us victory over sin. We'll talk about that in the next next video. But maybe perhaps one of the main ways uh, that the Spirit does this is he puts a spotlight by speaking to us. What, what does that look like? How does Jesus do that? Well, a few ways. He speaks to us through the Word of God. It, this can be as we're reading through scriptures, he's making certain things stand out. He's bringing situations to our mind of what we're going through and connecting the dots for us with the applications. And so so it's important. I, I would say this is probably the primary way that the Spirit speaks to us is through the Word. We had a whole teaching on, on studying the Word, so if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and get that. But the Spirit speaks to us in those moments. Now, I'll caution us. It's not always like, oh, wow, this is some big revelation in the Spirit. Sometimes just this little nudge from the Spirit, hey, you read the Scripture, you need to go make things right with this person that's the spirit speaking with us at that moment or hey you know what be encouraged as you walk into work or in school today because i'm with you for that situation you can't admit it's just it's just small things the spirit speaks to us in a moment um the holy spirit also speaks to us through others now uh, th this could take many forms this could be in a formal church gathering or a connect group it could be a video it could, it could be anything but it could also be you're texting with another disciple and they just text you a scripture and you're like whoo that's what i needed to hear right now or, or they encourage you in some way you can just be having conversation with the people in your home and the holy spirit will use them to give you wisdom and to give you guidance one item to note it needs to line up with scripture right if someone says hey the holy spirit told me to tell you go punch that dude in the face like no the holy spirit didn't tell him that right like like if it doesn't align with scripture is not the spirit god's not going to contradict himself uh like that and so the holy spirit speaks to his word he speaks to others but the holy spirit also speaks supernaturally he'll often speak to us in ways that we know that it can only be him um this could be maybe we need to make a decision maybe we need direction and the holy spirit just speaks to us uh, clearly about that maybe we're sitting somewhere and the holy spirit just prompts us go talk to that person over there we're at school and we're at our lunch table and the spirit's like no you need to go sit there today because you need to talk to this person right and he speaks to us supernaturally this is different than our conscience this, the holy spirit's not our conscience no this is divine instruction from god and again this needs to line up with uh with scripture so uh, what, what what might this look like when he's speaking to us? We kind of see some of those contexts. Let, let's go back to our idea of the Holy Spirit advocating and, and, and fighting for us. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I, I mentioned my boss who advocated for me before. Like, I guess that was a good thing. I got some money out of it, whatever. But, but like, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit will advocate us in, in ways that are encouraging to us. That's important. We need those. Uh, but as we mentioned before, there'll sometimes be uncomfortable ways. Some of that might be correction. Some of that might be stretching us. We're like, oh, I don't know that I can do that, Lord. Uh, you know, go share the gospel with somebody. But no, go ahead, do it. Uh, the Holy Spirit's stretching us 
um, in those ways. I, I'll give you an example to maybe to maybe process this. You know, as I think about my parents, they were good advocates for me and my sister growing up. They they took care of us. They provided for our needs. Uh, they, you know, they they paid for us to to you know go to different youth conventions and youth trips and and play on sports teams and be involved in activities and take a vacation. You know, all these they, they, Christmas presents. They, they, man, that was really good advocating. Uh, but at other times, they fought for us. They advocated us when they had to correct us. When they had to tell me, hey, you know, you can't be mean to your sister. You can't talk like that. You can't do this. You can't do that. They even maybe had to take things away from me to discipline me and, and walk me through some of those things. And, and that was just as much them fighting for me as it was when I was getting Christmas gifts uh, for them advocating for me and for my well-being. Well, it's the same way with the Holy Spirit. There will be times where he encourages us and it's very comfortable and it's in our wheelhouse. We're like, yes, I love this. This is awesome. And there's going to be other times where the Spirit comes and we're like, ooh, what I don't know that I want to listen right now. And that's the moments we need to. That's the moments where we need to desire all that the Spirit has for us. He's speaking to us. A lot of times our church, we call these Kairos moments, right? He's, he's, he's speaking to us. But let's note the difference in what we would call uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit versus condemnation. And I think sometimes, again, the language that we use plays an important factor. When we say convict, maybe we might have a negative image that's almost like a court imagery. Uh, someone is convicted of a crime or whatever the case. Um, but there's a little bit of difference biblically between the conviction of the Spirit and the condemnation that would come from our enemy. You know, Jesus said before that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And so there'll be times where the Spirit comes and, and has to convict us, right? And if He's convicting us, He's pointing out an area of our life that needs to be conformed to Christ. He's looking at our life and saying, hey, there's this area here, maybe how we're talking, how we're living, whatever, and it's not living up to who Jesus is. So in light of what Jesus has done for you, live for Him, right? It, it, it's redemptive uh, in those ways. Um, and, and, and so Jesus, He's doing that in that, in that sense. But at the same time, let's recognize we have an enemy who's a liar who will come to condemn us. The Scriptures tell us we have to take our thoughts captive. We have to discern these things. And, and, and so how do we tell the difference? I think the end goal is the way that we tell the difference. Condemnation that comes from the enemy is final. It's not redemptive. It's, man, you messed up again. You're never going to get this right. You trip over the same sin over and over again. Uh, you blew it when you shared the gospel. You forgot to say this. You forgot to say that. Someone else would have said it better. Oh, that's condemnation. Uh, condemnation. Conviction, the Holy Spirit said, hey, yeah, you, you blew it in this area. But there, there, there's hope in Christ. There, there, there's victory in Jesus' death and resurrection. This is the Holy Spirit saying, man, you stepped out in that area. Maybe it didn't go the way you want. That's okay because I'm working around this behind the scenes and I'm going to continue to use you and continue to grow you. And so the Holy Spirit puts the spotlight on Jesus by speaking to us and we need to be able to recognize it. The Holy Spirit puts the spotlight on Jesus uh, by speaking to us. The Holy Spirit puts the spotlight on Jesus by empowering us and gives us victory. Again, we'll talk about that next time. But let us be people who will honor the Spirit as God, who pursue the Spirit, who are not going to push aside correction. We're not going to push aside things that are uncomfortable. People that are going to truly be led by the Spirit and hearing from the Spirit. And again, this won't always be flashy. It's not always going to be Ezekiel 4. God asks us to do this huge, uncomfortable thing. It might be, hey, would you just go encourage that person over there? And that might be really uncomfortable for us, but that's the Spirit speaking. And so let's make space for this. How do you make space for the Spirit to speak? Between now and our next month, I, I want to encourage you to put some of these in practice. Uh, if you want to make space for the Spirit, engage in the disciplines, right? We've talked about this a lot, but spending time in the Word, in prayer, fasting, even Sabbathing, it's providing space for the Spirit to talk. Along those ways, silence. Having just a moment or two each day where you say, Okay, Lord, lead me, guide me. Not being rushed as we read through the Word or pray or those things. At the time of this recording, we're going through Lent in our church. 
And this, we're trying to make space for these things to hear the Spirit. So this is a great time to put in practice. Get involved in community. If the Spirit can speak through others, then I need to be around the Scripture. It says, iron sharpens iron. There's going to be times that the Spirit will speak through me to encourage you, and the Spirit will speak through you to encourage me or to correct me or whatever the case may be. But if I'm not in community with somebody, I can't do that. So connect groups, being part of church gatherings, even just texting with people, like all that's good to help us hear the Spirit. And then lastly, Kairos moments. We talk about this a lot here uh, at Connect Church. These don't have to be big, flashy things, but they could just be, you know, you're out taking a walk to the car and you're realizing, wow, God, God blessed me. I have a vehicle I can get in, and the Lord is speaking to us in those moments where we're walking through life, and God is speaking to us in just these little ways, and we want to recognize those things. Let's close with a scripture. John chapter 3, it says, For the one whom God sent speaks the word of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. And there's a lot we could process in context there, but just the end part. God gives the Spirit without limit. We could have as much of the Holy Spirit as we want. And Jesus embodied what that looked like. He had the Holy Spirit to the max, to the full, a life under the power of the Spirit Jesus lived. And if we're called to, to follow Christ, then we should want the same thing. And so may we desire the Holy Spirit in our life. Let's pray for that daily. Let me pray for you today. Jesus, help us. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. I need it, Lord. I can't do this on my own. Lord, teach us to know your voice, to know when you're speaking to us. Though we realize this will come over time, it, 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 it's a learning process. But, Lord, we want to know you. We want to desire you. And so, Lord, comfortable, uncomfortable, we want it, Lord. And we ask you to work in our lives. I pray for each one watching this video or listening to the audio. Bless them, Lord. Have your hand upon them. Lord, would you speak to them today? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. The Word of the Month is Clipboard. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this encourages you to take your next steps in your faith journey with God. You can check us out more on connectchurchnj.com. Have a great day.